0: And glad that everyone is here. You know, God is here. I don't know if you've sensed that, but the Lord is here. And when the Spirit is present, that's the time to open your mind and your heart and and believe, to believe that God can do in your life what no one else can do. If you read each of the Gospels, you'll see in their own way, they talk about the Lord and his cross and the events surrounding the cross. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that Jesus, when he was on the cross, was given a sip of vinegar wine to moisten his lips and tongue. And then at that point, he gave out a loud cry. We're not told by Matthew, Mark, or Luke what he said. <clears throat> just that he gave out a loud cry. We don't know at that point if it was a cry of anguish or a cry of victory. But John tells us what he said. And because of what John tells us, we know it was a cry of victory. In Mark chapter, excuse me, in John chapter 18 and 19, Um, where is Mark? Mark, now that you're a missionary, can you be on your first mission? Can you find me some water? I can tell it's, I need it. So this is your first mission. (coughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, So where was I? Oh, so in John chapter 18, you know, Jesus standing before Pilate, and Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And then from that point forward, we see this reference to Jesus as king of the Jews or as king again and again. That becomes a theme. As Jesus dies on the cross, there's a sign above his head that says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Thank you so much. Man, you are good. (laughs) You're going to be great on the field, brother. Thank you. So this theme of Jesus as king is like a refrain through the whole chapter. But of course, this isn't an ordinary king because Jesus is a suffering king. He is being mocked. And ridiculed, He is being beaten. We know that he's flogged. He has to carry his cross to a place of execution. And then he's nailed to that cross. And while he is hanging there between heaven and earth, people are coming by and they scorn him. And they mock him for claiming to be the king of Israel. If you're the king of Israel, what are you doing on that cross? There he is with a crown of thorns on his head, Dying on Mount Calvary, and yet he is the king who speaks these triumphant words, his last words. Look in John chapter 19, verse 28. Knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine was there. So they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus's lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. That's his cry that Matthew, Mark and Luke describe. But these are the words that he cried out. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. What's finished? Well, there's so much that can be said, but remember why he came. Mark tells us that he came preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus came to unleash the kingdom of God and its powers in the earth. Everything he did was a manifestation of that kingdom. Every miracle he performed. Every deliverance he brought into effect. That was all the power of the kingdom at work. When he taught, they were the very words of God. Jesus was the king bringing the kingdom. And so this power is brought into the earth and Jesus is faithful all the way to the end. And here he is on the cross. Finally, his mission is finished. Finished. You might say it's not finished. He hasn't risen from the dead. But you see, he has finished what God the Father had called him to do because the Bible says the Father will raise him on the third day, and he did. But Jesus, when he is on that cross, he knows that he has triumphed. And John's gospel presents the cross as a triumph. That's why Jesus says in John's gospel, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. See, he's being lifted up as if he's being enthroned. The king enthroned on a cross for the salvation of the world. And so this kingdom has now come. This power has been unleashed in the world. We see that power at work on the third day when Christ is raised from the dead. We see it a few weeks later when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church and full of the power of the Spirit, living this life of the kingdom, the church begins to do what Jesus did. Jesus came to undo the works of the devil, so the church undid the works of the devil. They preached the gospel, they prayed for the sick, and the sick were healed. They delivered people from evil spirits. The the power of the kingdom was palpably present in the early church, so much so that the first Christians were certain that Jesus would return any moment. They expected that the kingdom had come and that what they were seeing was a precursor to what they would experience in the very, very near future. They didn't think history would last another 2,000 years. They expected Christ to return right then. And that's because it was all so, so so present and powerful and real and undeniable. It was this whole new realm that they had entered into. When Jesus says, it is finished, he means he has accomplished this work and brought this kingdom. In the Greek, those three English words are actually one word. It's a Greek verb, to telestai it's from the verb teleo, which means to complete. So Jesus completes what he's been called to do. But tetelestai is a perfect passive. Now, the significance of that in Greek is something, a verb in the perfect tense is referring to a past event that has an abiding significance. In other words, it's not something that happened back there and it's all forgotten. It's something that happened in the past but continues in the present to make itself felt. And so when Jesus says, it is finished, he's saying that he has brought the kingdom and that kingdom shall continue. The power remains present. this This is a pivotal moment in history. Now, when I became a Christian, I had certain expectations, maybe you did too, I had the expectation, knowing just a little bit of how Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God and having Christians share their testimony of what God had done in their lives. I had heard people talk about physical healing. I knew people who had been addicted to drugs who were set free, more than one set free just like that. miraculously set free and so I believed in the power of God and I believed that Jesus had unleashed this kingdom it was like it was like a volcano that was just setting free the power of God in the atmosphere so I expected when I received Jesus Christ that God was going to roll up his sleeves and step into my life with power after all it's finished right Christ has done that work. The kingdom has come, and it continues. Did it happen? Well, yes, it did happen. My life changed, and it changed permanently. I knew it had changed. I knew I was never turning back. Before I accepted Christ, I was in and out of everything. I never kept any commitment I made in my whole life. But when Christ came into my life, I knew this one I was going to keep. I knew I had changed but not the way I wanted to. Or let me put it this way, not as much as I wanted to, not as thoroughly as I hoped, because I was still so much like me. I mean, I expected God to step in and deliver me from every sin, and I expected him to fill me with this joy of the kingdom, and I thought I'd be walking in all this power. Who knows who's gonna be healed when I pray for them? I was expecting things that did not happen. And in many ways, I have to tell you, my whole life has been trying to calibrate my expectations to what God actually promises to do. Do you understand what I'm trying to say there? Trying to calibrate my expectations to what God really promises. See, I don't want to fall short. I don't want to to expect too little and miss out. On the other hand, I don't want to have expectations that are just going to lead to disappointment. I've seen people like that. They have certain expectations, what they think God's going to do. God doesn't do it the way they think, and they walk away. They're disillusioned. They think, oh, it didn't work for me. I want want to have everything God promises, but I I don't want to expect what I'm not going to get. Does anybody else have that issue? Have you ever wondered about that yourself? This miraculous change in life, and yet yet maybe you still struggle with a lot of the same things you did for a long, long time. This is an issue that I think many people face, and, and this passage brings it up because Jesus speaks as if it's all done, and yet it's not all done. Look at the world, and look at us, and look at how we struggle So that's something that I've wondered about. That's something I've thought about for a long time. Now, there's a New Testament scholar named Oscar Kuhlman, a very important New Testament scholar after World War II. And he, he wrote a very important book on the kingdom of God. It was called Christ in Time. And he talks about this very issue. Now, it's rooted in a debate within New Testament scholarship. I know most of you have not not read about this firsthand, but you've you've perhaps thought about the issue that New Testament scholars were wrestling with. In the first part of the 20th century, there was this great debate among scholars. In the Gospels, sometimes the kingdom of God is spoken of as present but in other places it's spoken of as future. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it seems to be here, sometimes it seems to be in the future. And so you had some New Testament scholars saying, well, it's really present. Others saying, no, it's future. Oscar Kuhlman said, no, 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 no. We need to reconceive this. We need to understand the the sense in which the kingdom is present, and in the sense in which it is not. And he used an analogy. World War II, had just finished. And he talked about D-Day, which was in June 1944. And he talked about VE Day. That was victory in Europe, which was May 1945. 11 months between those two dates. And he said, The truth is, D-Day, this unprecedented invasion, never had something like this been tried in all of history to bring the number of soldiers onto the shores, the northern shores of France. This was a momentous day, and everyone knew, the Americans knew, the French and the British knew, the Germans knew that the war hinged on the outcome of Overlord. That's the name that was given to this invasion at Normandy. The war would be settled by whether this invasion was a success or not. And we know from history, it was a success. It was a furious battle. Many, many people on both sides lost their lives. But the Allied armies got a foothold in France. And from there, they began pushing through France and pushing toward Germany. It would take 11 months, but the war would end and victory would be secured May 1945 when the Germans surrendered. Now, here's what Oscar Kuhlman says. He says, for all intents and purposes, the war was settled on D-Day That was when the victory was won, and everybody knew it was won. People started talking about the post-war world, what it was going to be like, how they were going to deal with Germany after the war was finished, because everybody knew the war was over, sort of, because there was still a lot of fighting going on. There were people who were still dying. There There was... Violence and blood and suffering that lasts for months. And the final victory didn't come till VE Day, but the victory was won, really, on D-Day. I say everybody knew it. Even the Germans knew it. The German General Rommel actually joined in the conspiracy to assassinate Adolf Hitler at that point. Because he knew that Hitler would never surrender. He would let everybody suffer and die to save his own ego. Everybody knew it was over. So Kuhlmann said, What you have with Christ, he dies on the cross, it is finished. He has died on the cross as the king of Israel, and he has established his kingdom. The powers of the new kingdom are unleashed in the world, and that will never change. There will be no retreat. The victory has been won. The outcome is certain, absolutely certain. But the fighting's not all over yet. Yet. The fighting's not all over. The war is as good as won, but the fighting continues because this new kingdom has not yet completely supplanted the old. And that's what I've experienced in my life, and you have too. That is, Christ has come into your life and has changed you He may even have done miracles in your life that you can bear witness to, but there are other areas where you keep struggling. It might be with sin. It might be with depression or anxiety. It might be in relationship. It might be in your family. There might be all sorts of struggles that you face because the battle continues. But Jesus tells us here, the war has been one. And that's our hope. Now, the scriptures everywhere talk in these terms. We sometimes miss it, but it's everywhere. So, for example, in Luke chapter one, Zechariah is prophesying about the birth of his son and the birth of Jesus to whom his son will point. His son was John the Baptist who prepares the way for Jesus. And Jesus is coming by the tender mercies of our God, Zacharias says, there's a rising sun on the horizon to bring light to those who are in darkness and in the shadow of death. A rising sun. A few days ago, I went out to my patio. It was still dark. It's early in the morning. But it wasn't too long before I saw light on the horizon. I couldn't see the sun yet, but I saw the light on the horizon, and it was coming up. A new day was dawning. I saw the light, but the sun was not yet up in the middle of the sky blazing forth. But it would. The fact that the light was dawning let me know that it would. And so the scripture speaks of this rising sun. The sun has risen over you if you've received Christ, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you yet see all its splendor. Doesn't quite work like that. Paul speaks of the gift of the Holy Spirit as an erabone. That's the Greek word that he uses. He speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 1. The Holy Spirit is given to us as an erabone. Erabone means an earnest or a down payment. So if you want to buy something, say a house, before the bank's going to give you the money to buy the house, you got to give a down payment. The down payment is your, your good faith promise that the rest is going to come. You give the down payment and you promise to pay a lot more just like it as the days go by. So the bank lets you move into the house. God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. So we've received Christ. We are changed by, by the Holy Spirit living within. But that's just a down payment on what's going to come. That we've not yet experienced in full. Again, in the book of Colossians, Paul talks about preaching the gospel. And he says, this gospel was a mystery hidden for ages, but now God has called me to declare the glorious riches of this mystery. So his message, he says, his gospel is a mystery that that entails glorious riches. Well, what are those? The glorious riches of this mystery, comma, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there it is right there. Christ in you, present tense. You, you give your life to Christ and Christ by his spirit comes within you. You are born again. Your sins are forgiven. You receive a new power for life. You know God is walking with you. Christ in you. That's your present reality. That's the kingdom of God having been unleashed, not just in the world, but in your heart, Christ in you. But then notice the hope of glory. In other words, it's it's not all God's going to give you. You still look forward in hope to something more. Do you see that? The hope of glory. Paul says that we don't have yet all that we desire. He says, the whole creation groans as if in bondage. And he said, and we ourselves groan as we await our full adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, in your life, there are times when you groan, when you ache, when you hurt, and you think, I thought King Jesus unleashed his power and that he rules and reigns from heaven right now. I thought that was true. And the answer is, it is true. It is true. But the old reality has not yet been removed. And so you groan as you struggle with that besetting sin and you seek God to help you overcome it or with that depression or that tragedy or that that illness, whatever it might be. You you groan inwardly as you await your adoption, the redemption of your bodies. Paul says, those who hope for that, wait for it patiently. In other words, you don't get angry. You don't get frustrated. You know that this life will have its challenges. You are living between D-Day and V-E-Day. The victory is won. The war is won. God is with you, but there will be battles and there will be struggles. Don't be thrown by that. Don't be surprised by it. Buck yourself up and in faith go forward. So if you take all this together, really, I think in a way, I want to say we've got to reach for the radical middle, not either extreme, but the radical middle. On the one hand, don't ever settle. Christ is in you and you don't have to settle for life as you've lived it to this day. Don't give up. Don't fall in love with your chains. Don't think that miracles don't happen. They do happen. Don't imagine that God is far off and distant. God is here. Don't imagine the kingdom of God is only something that comes in the future. The kingdom is present. Don't settle. Seek God. Pray. Ask for his intervention. Ask for his power. Seek God. But also, also be patient with living life under the promise. His promise still stands because God is faithful, and you live life under the promise. You receive Christ in you, but you also live by the promise, the hope of glory. It's taken me a long time to wrestle with this in my own life. I don't have it all figured out. I still find myself wondering sometimes, all right, you know, when, when do I just expect this powerful intervention of God, and when do I accept that sometimes life entails suffering? I don't have all that figured out, but I do know it's both and. It's both and. The kingdom has come, but not yet fully come. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, it's a little bit like this ring I've got on my finger. I mentioned to you that Paul said that the Holy Spirit is the arabon, that is God's down payment. What's interesting is in Greek, contemporary Greek that is, arabon is the word used for an engagement ring. And so God gives us his spirit and it is a It is a gift that changes so much, but it's also a promise of change that's yet to come. Don't give up on yourself. God, who has begun a good work in you, will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on other people. We're all human beings living in these bodies Our brains, you know, (laughs) our brains have been shaped by things we believe, by things we have done. There's a a certain set of habits that have developed over time. This body is not redeemed. And so I need, by the grace of God, to find healing for my whole person, and transformation. It takes me time. It takes other people time. Be patient with them. But if you are not a Christian, that is, if you've not yet met Jesus Christ, you can. And I, wouldn't, I would never say that if you receive Christ, everything will just be perfect in your life. You won't have any struggles. Never say that. But what I will say is you will experience Christ in you which is like the decisive change. It's like D-Day coming to your spirit. There's been a victory. The minute you receive Christ, Christ defeats sin, death, and the devil. Now, it's going to be a battle over time, but you have the hope of glory. And my greatest prayer, my deepest prayer is that you would receive Christ today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, sometimes we would like for you to just step in and exert your power, Lord, to deliver us from every sin instantly, to make us overcomers in each moment, But we know, Lord Jesus, though you rule and reign in heaven, though you are the Lord of lords, King of kings, though that is the case, we know we we have to trust you. And there are victories, and we thank you for that. There is power, we thank you for that. But we also live by your promise and in hope, and we pray you'd give us patience for that. Help us to be faithful, Lord, in life as it is. And in this interim, between your great victory on the cross and your second coming, amen.